books put together. I'm your host, book designer Holly Dunn, and today we have a very special episode because I'm talking to the one and only Coralie Bickford-Smith, who is one of my design heroes, and in case you're not familiar with her name or need a reminder, she is the designer of the Penguin Clothband Classics, as well as the Penguin English Library Editions, along with many other book covers. And more recently, she has become an author-illustrator, and she has brought out The Fox and the Star and The Worm and the Bird. So in this episode, we talk a little bit about those and some of the production that went on behind the scenes, as well as some of her influences, including William Morris and William Blake. I had a wonderful time recording this, so I hope that you really enjoy this episode as much as I did. Here is Coralie Bickford-Smith and especially how you came to to work with Penguin. But um, yeah, I'm keen to know what Coralie as a child looked like. I I have this picture of you sitting surrounded by books and crayons and just being very happy. (laughs) Is that kind of accurate? That is accurate, yes. I was was really lucky because my mum surrounded us with books. So I collected books from silly age, like three or four. (laughs) I remember my first book token and going and buying my first book and I was always drawing and running around the countryside so nature was a really big part of my growing up. Do you remember what that first book was? Yes it was uh, I can't say his name properly so forgive me but it's Richard Scarry. Oh, Have you yes. heard of him? Yes, the big, yeah. Big busy world. world. And oh. I bought his little first word board book. Yeah. I was obsessed by Lowly Worm. <laughs> mm. Oh, we'll, we'll come back to the worm, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, how wonderful. So sorry, I interrupted you. Frolicking in nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was just, I was grew up in Norfolk. So mm. I'm in a very small village. And we just had this huge common land at the end of our road. So we were just out there all the time, making little hideouts. And I was always drawing. I just drew whatever I could get my hands on. Yeah. So I was just really obsessed by books, nature and drawing. So you were right. Well, that all very much comes through in, in your in your stuff now. Um, so did you just continue with the, the drawing and and design and when did you realize that this was something that you could do it as a career and that that's something you wanted to do as a career I always knew it was what I wanted to do because obviously in school not obviously but in school I wasn't very good at maths or writing I was pretty behind and it was all about drawing and that's really where I found a way to communicate to people and express myself so I was really shy as well so I was just drawing drawing away and reading books and then I realized that there was a path to be had in it when I was doing my A-levels and I had quite a difficult time because my parents had encouraged me to do art because I was obviously really enjoying it but as soon as I wanted to make a career of it they were really anti this because they were worried that, you know, there'd be no sort of stability. So I kind of had to fight a lot with my parents. And I eventually I had to leave home and sort of make my own way in the world. And I 
was doing my A-levels and I wasn't doing very well. And I got kind of expelled <laughs> from, oh, my, um, from my A-level college. And my dad sort of marched me back in and um, begged for my place back. And they, the headmistress gave me a William Blake quote. And it just turned me around. And I realised, actually, I was going to really go for it. And I was going to apply to universities. And I got an interview at Reading University. And Michael Twyman, he did the professor at the time, he really saw that what was going on with me. I think he just really got it. And everything that I loved just became really real. And it all made sense when I went for my interview. And I just thought, this is home. This is where I have to go. And I was so lucky he, that he picked up on my passion and he offered me a really good um, low grade place. You know, it wasn't, I didn't have to get all A's or anything. And, um, and he took me on and I did four years at Reading and that gave me confidence and just the ability to follow my passions and study books for four years and be in libraries and look at amazing old typography and learn about printing. I could go on forever, sorry. <laughs> no, no, please do. <laughs> and um, so when I left there, I did quite a few different jobs and then I saw an advert in The Guardian, which is like a paper here, and it was for Penguin. And I kind of, there was part of me, I remember working in a job and I said, well, I'm going to go and work for Penguin, like as if, you know. And then it happened and I met Jim Stoddart and he's my art director and I've been there for 15 years. So, yeah, very lucky. (laughs) Yeah. So that was your, your first job? as a designer then no I'd worked in um I worked for another publishing house when I first left and then I kind of was like is publishing really what I want to do because I you could you know when you're young and you're out of university I could see all these other designers doing really like cool cool stuff and I thought oh is publishing a bit like you know set in its ways so I kind of rebelled and I went out and I worked for this sort of um loyalty magazine communications design company and I did that for a year and then I really did realize actually publishing was where my heart was so I did like freelanced for quite a while and then I got my penguin job which just sort of revolutionized my portfolio and and what sort of jobs were you doing to to begin with at at penguin um yep cover design so it was yeah, all cover design, which I really loved because there's so much variety, so many different projects you can be working on at once. And my previous freelance work had been like really big coffee table, highly illustrated books. So you'd be on a book for about a year, like a couple of big books for a year. And Penguin, it was just like quick turnaround, quick turnaround, concepts, ideas, um, bit of your own illustration. It just felt really, I just felt so free. And did you start out with the classics? I didn't. I suppose, yeah, I did. I, it was weird. Well, I wasn't weird, but I was doing all sorts of things. So I'd be doing, like, sort of American politics books. I did some Rush Limburg. is that how you say his name? Book covers. And, um, and I was kind of, like, learning my skills and my craft. And then I got... Uh, to do 
uh, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. Like that was a couple of years after I started. And that kind of kicked off my whole love of cloth bound classics and like started to look at Victorian bindings and take a lot of inspiration to make books that would be passed down and cherished from generation to generation. So I kind of had two years where I was just learning loads and loads of stuff and doing all sorts of different books. And then I started to hone in on what really made me happy. And and it seems as though you got into publishing at a really interesting time as well, because with with the advent of of e-books, it was pretty important that designs be really, really beautiful. And, And I think that that Han Christian Andersen one was quite a new thing at the time, wasn't it? You didn't see a lot yeah. of cloth-bound classics or yeah, cloth-bound books in, in general. Yeah, cause, yeah, it was funny because it was um, I was using this printing press at the printers. Well, they have to use this press that was usually only print, pressing in foil on the spines of books. And I was asking it, this pre- this press to like do the front, back and spine and get the pressure evenly across the whole thing and they had to eventually they rebuilt that machine so that it could take the this sort of new way of foiling a lot better and do a better job and now that machine is so busy because everyone is up to it I don't think I did something that was original at all I think that it was a lot of people were you know a lot of a lot of stuff happens in the minds of a lot of different people across the industry do you know what I mean Mm. so it was like this sort of it was just something that everybody was moving towards with the advent of the ebooks like make the book beautiful make it really think about it as an object yes and especially with classics because a lot of them you can just download for free so you have to give somebody a, a really good reason to to buy the book itself yeah totally and um it was it was so nice because I felt that when those first cloth classics came out they they really stood out in this sort of in the bookshops because it was all the classics as paperbacks and then suddenly you had this little pocket of these amazing foil color combinations and pattern so yeah and and even now I mean obviously there are a lot more hardback classics now and um, a lot of other publishers have jumped onto that that idea and you get this real range now of of hardbacks but they still just I think because you know if you put a few of them together it's very obvious that they're a series but they all have their very own character with the colors yeah it's so simple but yeah, it's just, just stunning. There's so many beautiful yeah. editions out there that you just can't help but want to collect everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does get a bit like that. Um, so I wanted to talk about a couple of the the different Clothbank classics that you did. Um, yeah, I mean, with with classics, some have very obvious imagery. That so I'm thinking the the Moby Dick one where you've got the whale's tails and you've made it into this wonderful pattern. But that's kind of what you associate, the, the, the outline of a, a whale with, with Moby Dick. Whereas something like Sense and Sensibility, in fact, the, the Austens in general, there, there isn't that much actual imagery 
apart from bonnets, you end up with a lot of bonnets. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's what I really admire in your work is taking like the chairs. That's, that's oh, yeah. such a brilliant idea. And it, something that's kind of, I guess, invisible in the text because you, they must be sitting around on yeah. something, but yeah. it's, it's not, it's not the first thing that, that jumps to mind, but it's so brilliant. I was just wondering how you kind of got to that, that image yeah. in particular. <laughs> well, it was like, they were all just sitting around having a good gossip, aren't they? And <laughs> I really loved that. I just loved this idea that it was all sort of happening in very polite society and they were all sitting in their, is it their drawing rooms and chattering away and I just thought oh my god it'd be lovely just to have this chair and I was working with a picture researcher for the first 10 and so we were like looking at proper you know what would be right for that period and yeah it was just one of those you sit around and you think about you read the book and you just think and think and think and you come up with so many different ideas and then eventually something just really smashes you on the head and you're like oh yeah that's it and yeah. the chair's just yeah. so right Absolutely. I really, yeah, I'm out of that cover, yeah. <laughs> and then Northanger Abbey as well, you've got this kind of gothic-looking key. Yeah, yeah, the key. I'm, am I allowed to be critical about my own work? <laughs> I just, I feel that the key could have been better placed as a pattern. I, You know, I think you must feel the same. Do you feel the same? Because I've mm, looked oh, yeah. at your work and it's stunning. And you. you just, do you see things in it that other people wouldn't necessarily yeah. notice? I think if you feel that you've you've nailed it all the time, you you probably might have come to the end of your usefulness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's I know. true. That's what keeps us going, isn't it? That passion to improve on what we've done before. So, what would you change with the Northanger Abbey one? I think I just like. I was really funny to talk about it. Um, I think I just like really play around with the gothic key and have more fun with it and mm. like the way it's placed and the way that like the positive and negative space is used. I just yeah. think there's something that could be pushed a bit further to make it really, really, really stunning. But that's just me being crit super that's critical. That's so interesting because how, how <laughs> long ago were these? So these ones were, I'm yeah, just on your was... website, 2011, 2012. So it was a good few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot of time to have a think about that one. And I also, um, with The Great Gatsby, I've designed that cover mm. three times now. Yeah. And the first one I really was, was not happy with. So when I got a second chance to do it with the series, mm. with the foil, it was just like, yes, I'm so proud. And um, people think, God, she must be bored by now. She's sort of recycling books, you know, doing them again. <laughs> But I don't know what it says about me, but I still really enjoy it. It's a great challenge, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Keep pushing. Keep yeah. pushing it further. And keep rereading the text and seeing new things in it and new ways to represent it visually. Because, mm. you know, we are working with amazing, amazing text, amazing authors. Yeah, and, and they're covers that have been done so, so many times throughout history there's nothing to say that one designer couldn't do several different versions because it's been it's been done already so many times and yeah there must still be different ways of doing yes. it there's and also the way the industry is changing yeah that's true yeah different markets yeah 
because yeah. I, I think quite different people would pick up or just a, a paperback version from the, um, the those beautiful foiled F. Fitzgerald's books. Yes, yeah. yeah. One's a sort Sorry. of is, is a gift or or something that you want to keep on your shelf forever, and the other one might be something that I mean a student might pick up or somebody who's just curious about reading some classics. I yeah, mean, one I'm that just you just want to throw in your bag and yeah. um, write notes in and exactly. foggy the corners and yeah, yeah, totally. You definitely wouldn't want to do that with the the Great Gatsby with the all the beautiful foil and you'd ruin the cover. And... <laughs> yeah, or like rip off yeah. the bookmark. People got mm. quite annoyed because they said, we'll never rip off that bookmark. Why did you make that bookmark? <laughs> <laughs> that was just me pushing my um, my production values to the absolute extreme poor yeah. production. <laughs> that is yeah, wonderful. I, like, I hadn't actually noticed that before until seeing it on your website. Oh, really? Yeah, the perforated line. It's just yeah. like one more wafer-thin mint, please, production. So I was like, just a little perforated line. They were like, oh, really? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't think it's going to cost that much. And I, I said, just cost it up, cost it up. And I, we got away with it. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful idea. <laughs> it's just so simple. I think, like, some of the best book covers are just so... I'm not saying that's one of the best, by the way. <laughs> um, but some of like, this book cover that... Um, a guy in our department, Tom Etheringham, did, and it was called The Joy of Quiz. And so he turned the whole cover into a quiz. So on the front, there were questions, and on the inside of the paper wraparound jacket, there were the answers, and it was all perforated in perfect squares. So you could pull it apart and make a quiz out of it. It was genius. Fantastic. It's just so simple and clever, and just pushing it to something totally new just wow. blew my mind <laughs> yeah oh I love things like that and then people get quite precious about it and they they won't do it because it that makes it like a collector's item and they want to just keep it as it is yes but yes <laughs> I have to get two copies yeah yeah he's a genius Tom <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't think that was his thought process behind it <laughs> to like make well, people no. buy <laughs> I thought we could move on to talking about some of your influences I mean, I, I feel as though I can guess a few of them, but <laughs> I just wanted to yeah, hear, hear from you who your biggest influences are and maybe if you could expand on a couple of them. Yeah, I think it's no secret that William Blake is a, a mega influence. Mm. Um, so the quote that I got when I was kicked out of school and went back begged for my place back was he who binds himself a joy does the winged life destroy but he who kisses the joys it flies lives in eternity sunrise and that's something that just made me think you know if I really want to become a designer I'm gonna do it and really chase my dreams but be really chilled about it as well you know when things go wrong as they do and um and when I did go back to school they, one of the art teachers likened one of the paintings I was doing to William Blake. So I thought I have to, uh, I have to look this guy up. And what really, really blew my mind was that he did everything. Um, he wrote the books, illustrated the books, printed the books in his kitchen. I think it was in his kitchen in, you know, in his house. Yeah. Um, and he colored them. I think he actually created a quite a revolutionary new way to print in color at the time. Um, he was just an absolute 
he was just beyond his, you know, his time. And I, so I've spent a lot of time looking at his work and looking at how he did things and made things. And he just, he's just been with me since I was a teenager. So he ain't going nowhere in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and then also William Morris, he's like incredible to me. Um, The way that he makes sense of the world through pattern, I just find it really comforting. I find like the world is quite crazy, chaotic place, especially living in London. And I find pattern really, really kind of helps me navigate my way through the world and find things that sort of slot together and make sense out of the chaos. And his use of symmetry is just really, really intense. And I still learn so much from staring at his patterns. I'm not very mathematical, so I can't really ever master pattern making the way he did. Mine's all a lot about throwing things together and experimenting, exploring in a really sort of abstract messy way I don't know how you create your patterns but I really love I'm much much the same yeah just kind of make it up as I go along (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes I've read a few pat there was one amazing pattern book um I can't remember who wrote it but I found it in the Victorian Albert reading room I've read it about three or four times and I'm still sort of getting my head around the mathematics and the symmetry it's a bit mind-blowing isn't it yeah (laughs) feel like a bit of a um bit of a fake because I'm not doing all this you know incredible mathematics behind it all but I do have a lot of grids as you would see with the cloth band classics there's quite mm. a grid there that I do stick to and then I like to break and play with yeah and I think that makes it a more kind of organic look although I mean th- then then you look at Willie Morris and think that that just looks so intuitive and organic, yeah. yet it is so mathematical. Yeah. But I I think you can do it both ways. I mean, I'm just looking at the cover of The Fox and the Star and the fact that it looks symmetrical, but then you look a little bit closer and you realise there are all these little little quirks on each side, which is so wonderful because you could stare at it for ages and notice new things each time, I think. Thanks. <laughs> That's really nice to hear. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I guess there's something in that, isn't it? That we don't make everything perfect. I like little quirks and I like little secret elements and added meaning. Little like the, on the fox and the star, there's a spider web. Yeah. And I, my fr- I have a friend who is really, really scared of spiders, and so I will never put a spider in any of my books because it would just freak her out. So I was like, can we get away with a spider web? And she's like, yeah. (laughs) She's like, see, and so when I look at that cover, I just think of Amy, and it makes me really happy. It's just all these little secret things that you can put in, isn't it, that that nobody really knows what what you're up to. (laughs) Yeah, I I love doing things like that as well. um, I I love finding those details on book covers as well. I think that's what it is especially it's like you were talking about production and if if you, you know, open up the dust jacket and there's something unexpected underneath or if there's a, a sneaky little bookmark at the back it's just <laughs> it's it's just that that kind of feeling of discovery and it's not even necessarily on the cover although 
with yours it often is because it's um there's so much detail in them and then you you look closer and you find those things but yeah i think it's just that 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 feeling of delight as a as a as a reader and it might not be something that you notice until you know years after you've had it on your shelf and then you go oh i've never seen that before and i think if a book can do that it's an absolute winner yeah it's like little pieces of treasure isn't it you know how you collect all these little things from life and you've you know, I've got these little drawers just full of these amazing little buttons or badges. And it's just it's just sort of transferring that love, that little treasure hoard onto the covers of books or inside the books. Yeah. It's really fun. And, yeah, it's just this sense of real caring, isn't it, and loving what you do and giving that sense of wonder to the, to the you know, other people, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. definitely the, the thing. <laughs> So I was wondering if you wanted to talk about any other artistic influences. Um, so you've talked about the two Williams. Yep. Um, are there any more contemporary um, artists that, that you look at or do you tend to, to look more to the to the past and reinvent? I think I'm stuck in the past. But there is one, have you heard of the human, humament, is that how you say it, by Tom Phillips? It's this incredible book. So I think I'm really, really bad at facts. Like my maths and my pattern making, everything's sort of just a reaction and I just absorb things and I don't really take facts on. But he took this old Victorian novel, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody, but um, and he drew all over it and sort of like marked out words and created these amazing pages of pattern and texture and colour and then kind of wrote his own book. Oh, yes. Yeah, have I've you just seen fa- it? I've just found it online. Wow, this looks like a treasure trove. It's amazing. It's just like when I saw that, you know when you, you meet your favourite people's work and you just remember the exact moment and that was one of those moments where I saw that book, it just blew my mind. Yeah. It's just stunning. Yeah, and he's I, I can see that that kind of influence when you look at the Fox and the Star as well. Yeah, with the under the Beatles under the ground. Yeah, and then I go back in time to Rockwell Kent and his wood engravings. Mm. Um, I, his illustrations for Moby Dick are just absolutely stunning, and I did feel a bit with my Moby Dick that I could never compete. <laughs> So I do, I would if I could go back and do another book it would be that book it'd be Moby Dick I think mm-hmm. but his book his book it was just stunning and his numerous book plates his like mastering of type and image great balance refined typography dynamic compositions you know the use of positive and negative space genius yeah <laughs> well I've actually I've got your copy of um of Moby Dick here it, it's not a book that I would probably have picked up had it, and I know this is the case for other people as well. Uh, it's it's not something I would have picked up had it not been for this gorgeous cover. Um, and I've got a friend who who says that that you basically got her back into into reading because she saw these covers and just thought that they were the most beautiful thing, and suddenly wow. had this interest in in reading again. Wow. So that's amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, I just just that's the the power of of cover design, and that these really appealed to her 
in a way that other other book designs hadn't in the past books are so I think books made my childhood yeah and they made me who I am today and yeah to get people to re-engage with books the actual you know object is Mm. is really lovely and it is you know we are we are sort of you know we're working with such great historic stuff it's brilliant it's yeah you're right I mean we're not we're not saving lives but we're probably helping people's mental health cheer them up a bit you know I like to think so yeah (laughs) I certainly find that from from book designs if I'm feeling a bit low then looking at my bookshelves definitely helps yeah, they're like old friends that you yeah. can go to at any time. There's a really amazing quote. I can't remember what it was, but it was basically saying that, it's, you know, the books are this guy's friends. Mm. And so I like to, you know, visit Songs of Eternity. No, Songs of Innocence and Experience. And that's like going back to an old friend. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, when, this, when I had a look at some of your work, it just instantly cheered me up. <laughs> really nice it's just sort of lively and energy and color and yeah oh thank yeah. you <laughs> well that made my week <laughs> maybe my <Aww>. month <laughs> um so i feel so we've been talking a lot about the the cover design and maybe we could move on to talking about illustrating and writing picture books because that's yeah. something that you've started doing relatively recently is, is that something that you've done yourself for a while and and this is just the the first time that we've we've seen it with the fox and the star or was this a completely new venture for you it was a childhood dream Mm. and so as a kid I instead of going out I went through a stage of writing and illustrating my own children's books so it was something that I'd always uh always dreamt and never thought that I would actually be able to do and as I grew up it I got further and further, you know, the reality of earning a living and, you know, being practical. And I sort of lost all my drawing skills quite a bit because I was, you know, commercial designer in an office on a computer. So I felt quite alienated from it. And I, when I was at university, um, I lost my mum and I started to have this story in my head that my mum was a star and I was and it just was going around and around in my head and I started writing it and but I just sat on it and I just thought nothing's ever going to happen and I sure as hell won't be able to illustrate it because I'm not you know I'm not very good and then um one day at Penguin my now editor took me out for coffee and I was just thought that she wanted a bit of design doing you know um and I just said, what do you want? <laughs> I was a bit forward. I was like, what do you want? Why are we going for coffee? And she said, I want to publish you. Have you got a book in you? And I was totally, what? That's a bit mad. I just thought you wanted a bit of design doing. And I said, I do have a book in me. How random. And she said, well, just give me everything you've got and um, I'll go away and think about it. And I just thought, ah, oh, yeah. She, you know I'm not I'd never do that it'll never happen and then she got back she was like yeah we want to do it so it was it was it was pretty horrific um at the time because I just thought I can't do this she was like please sign the contract 
And I was like running around the penguin going, do, 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 do. And she's like, I know you're avoiding signing that contract. <laughs> I was like, yes, I am. I don't know if I can do a 64 page book. And uh, she just went, sign it. So I just signed it. And then I just spent a lot of time awake <laughs> and then waking or falling asleep and waking up in the middle of the night going, oh, I've got to do that. <laughs> So it wasn't like it wasn't easy. It was it was it was pretty. I was very 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 stressed out about it, and I really wanted to do something that was really meaningful and special. So yeah. Well, I think so. you've definitely achieved that. I mean, to to think that a, a book that's it's so um the the, the story itself is it's very simple, but it's it's quite unusual. And I, I mean, I think you push that even further with the worm and the bird. To to think that. A book like this did so incredibly well and it, it just really resonated at the time I think. Yeah I think that it was um it sort of pushed children's books but it's not really a children's book so that's the thing it's it was I wrote it for everyone mm. and um when I people say oh what are you doing you go I'm writing a sort of children's book oh what age range and they want the absolute like a proper yeah. age range and I was like, oh, I'm not really fit in, you know. I'm not really doing it as a young reader or, you know. Um, so I was, it was sort of just this luck that it just, and my editor let me yeah. do what I wanted. I mean, that's quite amazing. It's the kind of books that you could buy for a child or, or a grandchild, or somebody that you know. Yeah. Who, you know, but it's it's as much for the parents as it is for the kids which is what every good picture book should be but also it has that kind of nostalgic feeling to it that it will appeal to I mean I can't think of many groups who this wouldn't appeal to really and and I think it probably appeals in different ways um, through the use of colour and, and pattern it's, it's just it's so different and I, I've yeah. never seen anything like this when I picked it up and, and I I think I looked at it and went, oh, wow, this is something that you can do in illustration that is something that I could see myself doing because of the, the way that it's done with the patterns and everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, your work would really lend itself. I, I your mean, work's already got a lot of, like, beautiful... I saw the old book cover designs that you do, and they're stunning. Thank you. Absolutely <laughs> Sorry. Very Sorry. much inspired <laughs> by, by seeing what you are able to do as well um and that there has been success with that and i think your work has given me the confidence to to explore those areas um so do you do you think of yourself as a designer or an illustrator primarily i think of myself as a designer i think i i'm not caught up with what i'm doing <laughs> mentally um cuz people call me an illustrator now but I know so many illustrators that can just that just illustrate everything amazingly. Mm. And to me, I'm sort of using a lot of, uh, you know, I'm stuck in the past. A lot of my inspiration is from like many years ago. And so I'm sort of doing illustration, but filtering it through my head with a design sensibility. Mm. And I think maybe that's what's different about it. Because I, I'm sort of pressing a lot of buttons that William Morris might do with page layout. A lot of classic book design might do with page layout. And manuscripts, beautiful old illuminated manuscripts. Mm. So maybe that's what it was sort of 
modernizing something that was really you know from the past and maybe that's what the cloth band that is what the cloth band classics do as well they're taking an old idea and doing it through my sort of weird design filter so I don't really feel like an illustrator yet I think worm was more illustrator e than the fox was I think I tried to prove to myself that I could do more of a narrative flowing text so that's yeah. what that about and whereas Fox I'm I really was just sort of it was all my William Blake William Morris Rockwell Ken all that sort of stuff coming through yeah I, I actually had this this kind of revelation recently as well where I realized that oh maybe I'm an illustrator and not a a designer so much um and I'm not alone yeah. <laughs> this is good well, like this. it's it's really strange because I think we tend to think that to be an illustrator, you have to be able to draw everything. And yes. I, I used to do a lot of very um, realistic drawings when I was at school, and I very much have moved away from that. And then to stop and think, oh, well, actually, if if this is illustration, then may, maybe, maybe if you're drawing things, maybe maybe it is illustration. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but sometimes it takes somebody outside to kind of say, oh, you're an illustrator. And go, oh, boy. Oh, maybe I am. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I don't think I've quite earned my stripes yet, but yeah, yeah. I, a lot I of graphic we... designers do illustrate, don't they? I've mm. seen like a lot of uh, book cover designers actually do are illustrators as well. Yeah, but but you feel like you have to be able to draw everything, everything really in order well. to, to to earn <laughs> that title. Um, when I mean, obviously that that isn't the case, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> It's it's kind of that strange. Maybe it's the restrictions we put on ourselves because, mm. like, we grow up. Like you sound very similar to me, drawing very life-like things when you were younger, and then moving away from that when you as you got older. And maybe that's you know because we admire illustrators and we really because we feel that we don't cut the mustard. You can't help but. It's too scary to call yourself that because it's something that you really admire. You feel that you're being a bit cocky, a bit confident. Yeah, and then yeah. Oh, if somebody asks me to draw a horse or something, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah, although you have got horses on on some of your designs. <laughs> Is it hard yeah. times that's got horses on it? Yes, yeah. but they're very simple horses. Mm. They're very simple. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the great thing about the cloth classics is the foil can't take much detail. Yeah, so you look like you're you're really confident, but you're not because of the foil. You have to keep it very simple so that it, the foil is consistently mm. across or the whole. You know, <laughs> I sound really down on myself. Sometimes it's terrible. <laughs> but I mean, you've you've got two full illustrated books under your belt now. Um, so I know. for the third <laughs> yeah so I mean I, I think you can safely call yourself an illustrator <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to move on to the the worm and the bird it's again so unusual and it I think it pushes it even further than the fox and the star because you've got these pages I mean you've got more contrast I think between the different types of pages and got the, these two stories and you think how how are these going to you, you think you know how it's going to end and I don't want to spoil it but yeah. then it does something completely unexpected 
and it's yeah going back to that idea of being able to delight a reader and then that that really 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 achieves that in in a wonderful way um so i wanted to talk about particularly some of the techniques that you used for this um both in illustrating it and also in in the production because it's got some different types of ink in here yeah when i said i wanted to do back book about a worm i didn't really get much positive feedback <laughs> people were like what how are you gonna make the earth look interesting how are you gonna so yeah that was it was tricky that um but i kind of thought what would William Morris do I don't think I've mm. quite done what I think he would have done it spectacularly but it was very hard really difficult I did set myself up for a challenge and I think the metallic inks I would have had it foiled all the way through mm. <laughs> but the poor production again and my editor were like what um sounds expensive so, <laughs> It would be yeah, crazy. They have to pull the sheets out of the press and put them into the foiling press and then yeah. put them back of blah blah. So um so we I thought, well, it's not gonna it'll never work. The metallics will never work. But the printers that do it, I think they just totally pushed the boat out and they did some experiments with um oh what's it called? Like priming the paper. Cause, you know, classic, I don't know if you do this, but you want to use uncoated paper, but you want mm. to use a metallic ink and everyone's, yeah. you know, we all know that that's going to end up a disaster. So, and I wouldn't compromise on the uncoated paper. So yeah. the printers put down primer first so that the ink, the metallic didn't absorb too much into the paper. Mm. It gets so nerdy, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they kind of saved my neck and I was really impressed with what, what could be achieved with metallic ink mm. and I'm really excited about the paperback because it, it goes into a bigger format so yeah. the areas of metallic are going to be even bigger so I think it'll like it still will be subtle but I think there's a little bit more room for it to shine yeah literally <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah the colors inks it's you you do you get as obsessed about the inks and the finishes and the printing process yes well I think it's as important as as the design itself and especially if you've spent as much time as, as you have on on a picture book you want to get it yeah. just right yes yeah. that is part of the joy of being a designer as well isn't it that you get mm. to manipulate these quite uh mass market industrialized processes to create something that feels really special and mm. unique and different. And if, you know, sometimes making those massive offset litho machines bend to your will is quite cool. Yeah. <laughs> feels really good. Whereas William Morris, obviously, he like it was all beautiful, handcrafted. You know, he was learning about the inks and the dyes and everything. Whereas we don't really have that. We could, but you know, we work for mass market publishers. So Exactly. And then further on in the book, you've got this yellow coming through. So is that a, a kind of, it, it looks like it's an, a neon ink, but I'm not sure if it actually is, or if that's just compared to the, the browns that you have earlier on. Yeah, it's like one of those random normal Pantones that just looks neon. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. What a colour. I, just, it, I just felt I really had to whack it up you know to contrast the black and yeah. the browns and the metallics yeah that's for the sun it's just like bang yeah. 
and and it's a real surprise again as you're going through it yeah I think I might have on the paperback I have put in a bit more yellow on some of the earthy pages just little speckles of it because I think that it really brings the illustrations like more to life just sort of gives them a different you know when you look at it it sort of separates it sort of pings up so it gives it a sort of 3d sort of more I don't know what the word is but it's just sort of more engaging perhaps we'll see <laughs> yeah so, so you do you make a lot of changes between well, the, the hardback and a paperback no <laughs> you're not meant to I, <laughs> again it's me and my um wanting to um I just think as designers we just always want to improve on what we've done and there were there were like questions you know Coralie how much stop <laughs> this is <laughs> This, you know, this is the paperback. But, you know, the paperback changes anyway because it goes from, you know, that grid with the borders to full bleed. So mm. I used that as my argument. I said, you've already, we're already doing something very different with it. So I don't see that adding a few dots of colour here and there just to liven it up is really that much of a deal. So. Yeah. And I think that gives people a reason to, to pick up and, and look at the the paperback as well if even if they have the hardback yeah we'll see <laughs> we'll see but it's yeah. just a different sort of experience because it's more um it's that as you said like I remember it's something that you said earlier I when the fox and the star was out uh these adults were holding it looking at it and their child tried to grab it and um, they were like, no, don't, don't, don't get your sticky fingers on the book. Yeah. And the kids were really gutted and I really felt for them. So like the paperback is the one that you can, you know, get your hands all over, open the pages up really properly flat. And yeah, it's, it's just that, it's that experience for the kids to yeah. be able to like, really get in with the book. Whereas sometimes I, I, sit, I go around people's houses as well and, box and the star is like on the top shelf out of the way for children yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's for the kids <laughs> yeah the, the the cover for um the the paperback of the fox and the star is so so different and it still represents what's inside but i remember looking at it and going oh wow that's that's so kind of modern looking and yeah whereas the the hardback really does look like something out of the past and and I think that appeals to to different people as well. I've heard people say that they they prefer the paperback cover. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's just different markets. So mm. you you know you've got that beautiful old harking back cloth bound, and then you've got the the book that is on a children you know in the in the children's section of a bookshop or in a library where mm. the kids will go, oh look at that bright orange weird fox. You yeah. know, I want to pick that up. Because he does look weird. <laughs> That's why I don't say I'm an illustrator. Because my my fox has got this strange naivety to him. But maybe that's, that's what makes him wonderful. <laughs> we've we've talked a bit about your relationship with pattern and and a bit about vintage book design. And I know that recently you've been doing these stamps, and you've got this little stamp set called the Stamp oh, Garden. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, what a lovely project to do. So um, Princeton Architectural Press just uh, emailed me and said, oh, we did a, they did an architectural one with this artist. And they said, do you want to do a sort of garden, like nature one? 
and I just you know, I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. like, wow, what a lovely email. Because you never know what's going to pop up in your inbox, do you? <laughs> and that was just a, like, wow, I'd love to do that. That is so up my street because it's like printmaking and patterns and nature. So, yeah, I just was like, I'll do that. <laughs> and um, we also, they've asked me to do an Art Deco note card set. Ooh. So we have just done, like, I've just seen proofs which are, Boiltastic, um, for that. So five, Ooh. I think it's five, five note cards, and they let us um do foil, foil inserts in the envelopes. Oh, I know, and it's got a beautiful box. So um, this designer Mia, um, she designed like Tate took my elements and designed a box for it. And it's just stunning. It's really, oh. I'm really, really excited about that. So Princeton Architectural Press have like done me proud this year. So when when's that coming out? October. So Ooh. that's when the worm and the bird um, paperback comes out too. So yeah. October's going to be quite an exciting month. I hope that comes <laughs> out here. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's um, worldwide. That's mm. what's so amazing about them as well because people are like, I want your stamp garden by bet it's only available in um the u.s and i'm like no it's everywhere fantastic so, yeah yeah it's great projects it just seems so up your alley that that stamp yeah pattern. i'm gonna try and do um a start a different pattern with it every month and put it mm. on instagram because it's yeah. so it's just so versatile it's just so much fun to play with yeah and that that takes me back to my childhood and having little stamp sets and having a lot of fun using them then the next thing is I want a um, printing press in my kitchen. Oh, <laughs> that's the dream. That's, that's the next thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I also saw, well, a few very exciting things happening on your Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a collaboration with Just Trade UK. Are you able to, to talk about that yet? Yes. Um, so do you know anything about Just Trade? I started following them after I saw your, your post. Oh, they're doing some interesting stuff. They're really interesting. Um, so I've known them for quite a few years. So I've sort of watched the company grow. And they go around the world supporting people like who have, you know, different crafts, different skills. And they asked me to do some jewellery ideas with them from The Worm and the Bird. So they took it to their team in Peru. Um, it's led by a lovely lady called Lisette. And they make them and it's all like fair pay and they look after these women and they train other women. So they have these amazing little community, communities all around the world that make these incredible things. So it was just so like, yeah, I want to be involved in that because you know your company is amazing and I just really love what you do um so yeah another amazing project I think I've just had like the best year projects that I've ever had (laughs) and then the other thing is that you've got some new Penguin English Library editions coming out yes (laughs) have you seen the I so enjoyed seeing these new ones coming up on your Instagram. Are they are the covers all published somewhere, or is it just you know they're being drip fed? 
Well, they they are all like fed through on Amazon, but I don't think there's anywhere where they're all together. Okay. Unless Penguin are getting a website together or a special page on their website. So yeah, yeah, I know. I, Instagram is great because you can kind of put trip feed things through, and I it, I'm just a bit lazy and I haven't been doing my website, so it's a really nice way to get your work out there. Yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat to see the next ones. So oh, I'll, keep, I'll try and keep them coming then. Yeah. I'm trying to learn how to take better photographs because, like, I'm so bad at taking photographs and everyone's Instagram feeds are so beautiful. So I've still got to learn. <laughs> it does feel very competitive, doesn't it? With the photography. Well, they just nail it, don't they? I'm just really bad at photography. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard and also, also on your phone because it's so fiddly isn't it mm. and then I make typos and spelling mistakes and somebody phones me up and go oh no and I'm like quick quick fix it yeah. I think that's why it's nicer than Twitter because you can fix like mm. the typos you know it's sort of change you can change it a bit whereas yeah. Twitter you it's there it just generally feels like a, a nicer atmosphere than Twitter I think and the people the images. So yeah, and there's so many book people that I never would have met, you know, and I've made some really lovely friends through Instagram. Yeah. It's great. It's good. Um, so I did just quickly want to talk about some of these new designs because to yeah, me they quite. seem really quite different from the the previous ones, yet they're still very clearly, ha- they, they still have that Penguin English Library look to them so we've got these George Orwell ones um, and again these are books that have been covered so many times mm. and yet you've managed to do something really new with them especially Animal Farm that's <laughs> such a cool cover it's amazing boxer man boxer poor boxer the glue factory yeah. you're giving it yeah that was they were so hard to do because there's so many great covers out there mm. but yet the temptation the desire to do them is so strong yeah you're kind of setting yourself up for a bit of a failure but I was I really worked at them and I'm really really happy with how they came out again horses yeah. but very simply drawn <laughs> also falling that was hard so they look mm. a bit again like fox slightly nerdy wrong but um yeah I just wanted that idea of like the animals the rug being pulled out from under them and I did try lots of designs with lots of different animals Mm. but with the penguin English library grid usually it's like one or two different symbols or even just one so I didn't I just thought actually simplicity is probably the best thing to do and boxer just really resonated with me so he got the lead role yeah, and, he's, and so he should, poor dude. <laughs> yeah, because normally it's all about the pigs, isn't it? Yeah, so it's nice to sort of do something different and unexpected. I hope I did that. And then with 1984, that was really tricky. Yeah, that must be one of the hardest books to design a new cover for. Yeah, that was hard. I did want to do this sort of abstract um, coral. And he he collects a few objects. I don't want to give it away. But he collects a few objects and there's one little piece of coral in a glass paperweight. Oh. 
yeah. and it has a moment in the book. And I wanted to do all these crazy abstract coral. And I think yeah. I, I actually had to rein myself in and go, you're just trying to be smart. You're just trying to like, <laughs> pick a really obscure thing that's never, you've kind of gone way over the other side you know, bring it back a bit. It's got to resonate with people. It's got to sort of have a, an, a sort of instant, I get, you know, that's my vision of it, you mm-hmm. know, because it was just so tempting to go abstract and strange. I was like, Although no. that, that would be something very, very new for, for 1984. Yeah, and it was kind of, I thought maybe that's really good. But then I was, I got a bit scared of that. And then my art director said something really interesting. He said, it's actually like a love story you know says I don't want to give it away but there was like this big sort of love you know love affair in it and maybe that hasn't really been played with Mm. and I thought about that a lot but I couldn't really do that justice so cogs it was (laughs) yeah I, I think what you've done is very unusual and and new and I mean you could almost see the kind of coral effect in there being crunched yeah yeah I like um this silly but I like the I I like that I wanted to get across like these big foreboding buildings and this big sort of system that was just sort of breaking people down Mm. and and I thought cogs is really interesting because it's so it's an instant symbol isn't it and then I was like is that too too obvious and then my dad used to call me cogs as my nickname and I was like Oh, it's too tempting. It's like a little sort of uh, about you know, that's like an Easter egg. Or... Yeah, yeah, like hogs on the cover, but that sounds really yeah. silly, doesn't? It? But there was a lot of other serious reasons that went in. <laughs> but yeah, there's just like that nice little feeling of like, oh, Dad, I wish you could have seen this. And uh, sorry, just go back to Animal Farm as well. Yeah, the background that you've got on that as well that really. It gives it a sense of that that time, I think. Um, so, what what was your inspiration for this kind of almost cubist look in the background? It's all those um, revolutionary posters, and um, I kind of cheated, I guess, because I wanted to give it more texture, and I didn't really like none of the other pels have got texture, have they? They're all very um, flat background color. Mm. And I just felt so passionate about these books. They are just such a part of my growing up, reading them at school. Yeah. And they're so relevant today, even more so. I don't know, they just feel, it's like The Handmaiden's Tale. The resonance is just getting stronger and stronger. And I, I guess I visually, I wanted to play with that. And I wanted to just really get that across in my book covers. So I did it with texture to add layers of meaning and you know the sort of grey areas and it isn't all black and white and I cheated <laughs> <laughs> well they, it, they do fit into that that Penguin English Library look still but th- they do look like something really fresh and new so I, I think that's really exciting because this series has been going how long? I think it's 2012 the first 100 came out yeah. So, yeah and that's what I love about these grids is that you've got these sort of marker points like the text it's here it's this size but the grids and the pattern can really play like mm-hmm. the dots in 1984 the little white dots that yeah. are on the all the other covers they become part of the illustration that are being degraded you know sort of crushed and 
um, spat out at the other end. I really, really, I just think, wow. Sometimes it just blows my mind that you can have so many rules, but you can create such great stuff from yeah. so many rules. Sure. I think that's my Reading University um, upbringing. <laughs> rules, and yeah. then break them. Well, they're just wonderful, and I cannot wait to see the new ones. I better get photographing them. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. So finally, I know you briefly teased the fact that you're doing a new picture book. Can you tell us anything about that? Is it going to be an animal again? Yeah, it's going to have the animals, of course. Mm. I love the animals. I can't really say much about it because it's pretty early stages. Yeah. But it might be in a jungle. I just thought, oh, where could you have lots of fun with leaves yeah. and animals? Oh, and I just, wonderful. Oh, it would be really lovely to just sort of... Everything you do is such a reaction to the last thing you've done. So, like, worm, you know, very dark inks. And then I just sort of pushing against that again and then going to the opposite end of the spectrum. So I'm just thinking really bright, amazing foliage pattern. Yeah. Oh, how exciting. That's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and is there a, a sort of loose deadline for that? Or are you, are you, do you know when it might be coming out? Or is it far too early I to hope- it's quite early, but I hope 2009, end of 2019. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully, my publisher's being really good, like, because they obviously, I have these crazy ideas and they realise how much work it takes, so they're not putting on any pressure. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm trying to be more relaxed. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see it. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh. Well, I, I won't keep you any longer, but this has been absolutely fantastic. And it's been really great. It's great to talk to another pattern-minded person. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Please be sure to rate and review us too. This show is hosted by Holly Dunn and edited by Eric Wilder. Our theme song is Sweet Berry Wine by Blue Wednesday. And Spine is a production of Spine Magazine. For show notes, articles, audio and video about the enormous talent that goes into creating books, visit spinemagazine.co.